Community Alliance with Family Farmers and the Farmers Guild present the Farmers Beat podcast. That's B-E-E-T. Welcome to episode two. My name is Kaylee Fireisel. I'm an organic farmer and work at Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF, and the Farmers Guild. I'm the host of these episodes where we hear directly from small family farmers throughout California, getting the real information and stories behind the food we grow and eat. In this series, we pay particular attention to the innovative work small-scale farmers are doing to keep their food safe to eat and share techniques, farmer to farmer. Today, we visit Full Valley Farm in the Cape Valley of California and meet one of the founders and farmers, Judith Redman. I love being outside and I love taking care of plants and having a connection to growing things. As well as harvest manager, Jan Valia. I think people want to do the best they can with what you ask for food safety, but you have to provide them all the tools that they need. On the day we visit Full Belly Farm, some of the first winter rains had just begun. In high rain boots and rain gear, Judith walks us to meet some of the Full Belly Farm resident sheep and cows. You want to go in here? So we are in a very old almond orchard that is no longer producing almonds. And we're looking at a little herd of mama sheep with also our Jersey cows that we use just for our home milk and dairy needs. So the cows and the sheep are all looking at us and wondering if we're bringing them some more vegetables to eat. The cows and sheep are gathered around a giant mound of pumpkins. Full Belly Farm sits in the Cape Valley and has been certified organic since 1985. Judith is one of the four original owners, and there are two younger, second-generation owners that make up the team. Full Belly also employs about 70 to 100 people and has an internship program. We are about 400 acres, and we're very diverse. We grow row crops, vegetables. We grow a lot of fruit, herbs, lots of flowers. And we also have animals. So we sell eggs and we sell lamb. We have a herd of sheep that move across the farm and that are very integrated into our soil building program. And we market our produce within about 140, 50 miles um, year-round. At farmers markets, we have a CSA and we sell to restaurants, stores, and to wholesale outlets. So we stay very busy. We also have a kitchen that sells value-added products like tomato sauce and jam, pies and breads and safflower oil and olive oil and stuff like that. Judith came to farming by way of her love of plants as well as her activism. I studied plant science and plant pathology, got a master's degree in plant pathology, and that only confirmed more for me that academia and corporate life wasn't my ball of wax, and I wanted to be outside working with soil and with farmers and with activism, doing work that I felt made a difference in the world, growing food that's really healthy for people who appreciate it. But Judith cautions that loving plants and loving the outdoors does not necessarily result in a successful farmer. There's tons of skills farmers running diverse operations either need to know themselves or outsource from others. There's a very important side of farming successfully and meaningfully in California right now that involves business skills and that the love of growing things and being outside is not really 
for sure what you're going to do as a farmer in California, keeping your business alive. You have to also be willing to pursue those business skills that involve accounting and talking to specialists in various different business fields and also potentially being an advocate, going out and talking about agriculture to your constituency in a way that helps them understand why you're doing what you're doing. Part of being a good farmer, according to Judith, is a deep understanding of food safety as a holistic part of your farm's success and the importance of adapting to regulations slowly and intentionally. At Full Belly Farm, we came to the realization that we would need to get more serious about food safety, in part through our work as advocates with Community Alliance with Family Farmers. It was clear that after a number of food safety scares that the produce world was going in a direction that was going to mean we were going to have to jump through some pretty uh, heavy-duty hoops in order to continue farming and be in compliance with federal rules as well as the rules of people that we sold produce to. So our approach was to take it little by little, incremental steps. We could not take on the entire food safety program that seemed as if it was going to be required all at once. We had to take it on little by little. And so we made progress every year for probably five or six years towards a program that is working. But I really would advise a smaller scale or even our scale farm, um, if they have that luxury, to try very consciously taking on the biggest steps one at a time. Like look at where do you think your food safety risks are and then one by one cross them off the list. In some ways, we might have taken on the easiest one first, a training program in which we figured out what areas did we need to have standard operating procedures and train our staff or various teams on. And so that was the first thing that we did is we created a training program and have been able to stick to it because it's a structure. I think probably the last thing that we dealt with was what we felt like was the hardest, and that is sort of all of the record keeping around our pastured animals. While record keeping certainly is not glamorous, it's essential for a farm's viability and doesn't have to be as big of a burden as it may seem. Farms that have to be in full compliance with the new Federal Food Safety Modernization Act, or FSMA, are required to train all employees on basic principles of food hygiene and food safety the importance of good health and personal hygiene for all employees and visitors, which includes being able to recognize the symptoms of when someone is sick and should not be handling produce. Employees that participate in harvest activities are required to have additional training on how to recognize if a crop may be contaminated. Farms demonstrate that they've completed this training by keeping a record of the training each employee received each year. You can find a free template to help with this record keeping on CAF's food safety template webpage and in the link in the show notes. In terms of records, I uh, have been the person that does that. And I actually do some of those things really right before the audit. For example, I figure out all of the fertilizers that we've used in a given year and make sure that we have all the data on them. And I do the same thing for pesticides. So that's sort of a few hours and, and fairly easy. There's a lot of other records that we're required to keep, not just for food safety, but for 
other agencies and they involve keeping track for various reasons of the pesticides as they're being sprayed, the fertilizers as they're being applied, because some of them contain animal products and you have to have a window before harvest. And so that involves making sure that your supervisors who are in charge of those programs either keep those records themselves or are trained to bring that information to you. And so I've created systems that make it as easy as possible to collect that data from the field. One area where there's overlap between food safety regulations is with organic certification. A farm doesn't have to keep duplicate records in that scenario. Instead, they can keep one record that fulfills the details required by different regulations. I want to talk a little bit about the sheep at Fobelli Farm. The way that we manage sheep takes some uh, describing when it comes to a food safety audit. The sheep and the chickens at Full Belly Farm are moving across the land all the time. They get moved every three or four days. They don't stay in one place. They're pastured. They need green pasture and new pasture. They're grazing in fields where we've finished harvesting. They're grazing down our cover crop. They're moving. They're in small paddocks. So if a food safety auditor were observing our field of sheep, it would be very important to explain to them those sheep are just there for three or four days and then they move on. So we have to keep records. Those are the same records really that we have to keep for our fertilizers. Full Belly Farms records are a system that uses visual field maps with dates of when animals were on there as pasture. This allows work to flow more efficiently at Full Belly Farm and decreases stress at audit time. As we were walking around outside, we noticed a few different hedgerows around the farm. I asked Judith to explain a little bit more about why they planted them. Full Belly Farm put in our first hedgerow in about 1990. And we, again, were excited about it because of our work with Community Alliance with Family Farmers, which had on-the-ground programs talking to farmers about the benefits of various practices and hedgerows were one of those practices. So we planted our first one in 1990 and then for a period of about 15 years or so, continued to plant them every couple years. The hedgerows do provide some windbreak, um, but mostly we think of them as habitat for the beneficial insects and, and also for us and our crew. They're beautiful and shady. Sometimes people will sit under the trees and bunch their carrots or their broccoli. Has the farm had any issues with the hedgerows causing any food safety concerns, like providing extra habitat for animals? When we first started thinking about food safety, there were um, some conversations in which people felt that the hedgerows might be providing too much habitat for rodents or lizards or birds that could create a food safety hazard. Subsequently, that's been disproved, but there was a lot of concern about that and even rules that said that you couldn't plant your fields very close to hedgerows and sort of set a side distance that said you have to be this far away. The hedgerows became a real lightning rod for the food safety discussion because the group of people that said, we want to farm with nature, we want to farm and provide habitat. And then there was a whole nother quadrant of discussion that said, no, really, we want to have fields that are as clean as possible because that means they're safe and that they won't have any food safety hazards. And 
I think the organic farmers and folks that care about sustainability really believe that nature is very clean and cleansing and has its own feedback loops that provide protection, much, much more so than a sterile field that doesn't have the diversity that you need to protect. Yes, that's aligned with the current research on this topic. You can learn a ton more about hedgerows by looking at CAP's 2018 Hedgerow Manual and the publications on the Wild Farm Alliance's website, which have both been added to the show notes. Importantly, Section 112.84 of FISMA explicitly states that nothing in this regulation authorizes the taking of threatened or endangered species as that term is defined by the Endangered Species Act. Additionally, FISMA also states that the regulation does not require farms to take measures to exclude animals from outdoor growing areas or to destroy animal habitat or otherwise clear farm borders around outdoor growing areas or drainages. So FISMA clearly states that farms are allowed to be biodiverse and integrate hedgerows into their landscape. Another area of the farm where they put some thought into how they can make small changes to improve food safety and other co-benefits, such as production efficiency and worker ergonomics, is in the post-harvest part of the farm. We are now in Fobelli's very busy packing shed. We have a group that is washing greens. We have a group that's washing potatoes. We have a number of coolers, and sometimes you can hear the compressors. We also have people spraying down the floor and spraying down the tanks. We're also loading a truck, and there's people moving boxes around and loading them into the truck. So it's quite a busy hive of activity in here where all of the things from the entire farm come to this central place to get processed and taken care of. Hey, Joaquina, ¿sabe qué campo ellos están piscando para zanahorias? No sé exactamente. Okay, um, hey, are you out with the carrot picking crew? No, um, are you in the shop? Yeah, where are you? Be right over. Jan is our harvest manager. She's a very essential person here at the farm. She manages many, many different aspects of making things happen. So my name is Jan Valia and I am a harvest manager here at Fulbelly Farm. I've worked with Fulbelly for a total of about 11 years, um, but I've been farming on the East Coast for a little bit longer than that, almost 20 years now, I think. Over the years, it's kind of been a work in progress and figuring out what people are actually gonna do. And so being out in the field and working with the crews to say, okay, what actually makes sense on the ground? Because I think from the top down, you can say, okay, do it this way. And then the reality is when you go into a farm truck and everyone's muddy and they've all got picking knives, you have to do what makes sense for the situation. And so figuring out actually what people are gonna do and how to work more with how they function. So it's always just a work in progress. Since 1992, Full Belly Farm has run a community-supported agriculture program, or CSA, to about 1,000 members. That means 1,000 boxes go out every week, each to a different person or family. At first, they used wax cardboard boxes, pretty standard for a CSA produce farm. Those are pretty hard to sanitize and break down over a couple weeks, so a farm is always buying more to replace broken and unreturned ones from customers. One winter, the Full Belly Farm team was thinking about the sustainability and cost of wax cardboard boxes versus the reusable hard plastic ones. 
Judith did some research and found a company called Orvis that makes hard plastic boxes that have a closable flap lid, are stackable, and most importantly, much more easily cleanable and sanitizable. Jan walks us over to the box washer, which is made by Martin's Produce Supply in Pennsylvania. The unit was manufactured by AZS Brusher Equipment, which is also in Pennsylvania. It costs about $5,000 and has a variety of settings and features. The box washing slash vegetable washer is pretty huge. Washing CSA boxes and washing picking boxes, it's just a huge labor. So this is our vegetable washer slash box washer. And so we usually set up kind of boxes here. This is our hot water power washer. It's called the hot seat. <laughs> and it runs off diesel and gas. So the gas is the engine and the hot water heater is diesel. It gets the water up to 240 degrees, I think. So we actually sanitize our boxes at 200 degrees. Probably don't even need to be that hot, but the plastic can take it. And we just hook this machine right up to our box washer. There's a little inlet underneath. And we'll turn the machine on, and it has spinning arms inside that are pressurized. And you can set it to different pressures depending on how clean or dirty your boxes are. The conveyor goes, you put it in one side, and it has sprays from the top and the bottom. And on the other side, you just have someone else taking them off. And we don't use any chlorine or anything like that. We feel like the hot water, getting it to 200 degrees, is a pretty solid way to sanitize. FISMA does not require the use of new CSA boxes each time they are used. Part 112.116 of FISMA states, What measures must I take when using food packaging material? The answer provided in the law is that a farmer must use food packaging material that is adequate for its intended use, which includes being cleanable or designed for single use and unlikely to support growth or transfer of bacteria. If you reuse food packaging material, you must take adequate steps to ensure that food contact surfaces are clean, such as by cleaning food packaging containers or by using a clean liner. As you just heard, the law is not very specific on how a farm would meet this requirement, which is good. It's up to farms to figure out what system works best for them to meet the requirement. Maybe one farm buys single-use plastic or paper liners to put inside their wax cardboard boxes. Fullbelly Farm has taken a different approach on using reusable boxes that can be cleaned and sanitized when necessary to meet these requirements. And I can turn it on really quick. How many boxes can you send through in an hour or 30 minutes? Or That's a good question. Give me one second, Jose. Okay, so 240. So it sounds like somewhere between 250 and 300 boxes an hour. Standing in the packing shed in the California winter rain, I asked Judith and Jan if there's any other advice they'd give farms on their quest for food safety compliance. One thing that I've learned in talking to other farmers and also from our own experience here at Full Belly Farm is that their auditors come in all different varieties. And some auditors are very good and others aren't. Some stick to the script and others don't. Some auditors know what they're talking about and others don't. And as a farmer, especially if you're organic and you are running animals across your farm or having hedgerows or doing anything that can be considered a hazardous practice by an auditor, you need to know the rules. And if you know the rules, you're halfway home because you can't assume that the auditor knows the rules as well as you do. You should always feel, going into an audit, that you know the rules better. And I think if you show that sense of knowledge and confidence, it really is an important 
piece for the auditor to see that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF, and the Farmers Guild merged organizations in early 2017 so that together we can reach all California family farmers with one united voice. CAF's programming and policy work have existed for 40 years. The Farmers Guild will now assume the role of membership, outreach, events, and the chapter system for CAF. If you're curious about things you learned on this episode, like Full Belly Farm's small-scale box washing machine, head over to our show notes at calf.org slash farmersbeat. That's B-E-E-T, where we have links, resources, and photographs. Also, follow us on Instagram at The Farmers Guild to stay up to date when new episodes are released and to see more pictures from the farms featured in this podcast. This podcast would not exist without funding from the National Farmers Union and specifically their local food safety collaborative. We thank them for their support of this work and helping real farmers share their food safety tips to other farmers. Are you a farmer interested in being in a future podcast or a question related to this podcast? You can contact us at thefarmersbeat at calf.org. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode from Calf and the Farmers Guild sharing farm-fresh insights right from the field and giving voice to sustainable agriculture since 1978.